Well, friends, Greg Kogel here. Stand to Reason is the show. Uh, we are launching into our uh, our new year here, our second show. Uh, just want to alert you, by the way, we are also launching into our spring sessions of reality. And that's going to be in Dallas on February 22nd and 24th. That's going to be in Philly, March 22nd and 23rd. And that's going to be in Augusta, Georgia, April 19 and 20. So we are continuing our series. We already had our fall series. It was a bang-up success. We sold everything out so far. We had a few seats left in Minneapolis, but we were pushing 4,000 people, so that was pretty full. And uh, it looks like Texas is doing well. Um, I mean, just months in advance, we had people signing up. I don't have numbers right now, but I will say excuse me, that uh, January 5th is the last day for the early bird savings of 20 bucks on the Texas event. And also, by the way, this is also the event that we are going to be live streaming. So those of you in other parts of the country who are not within striking distance, reasonably speaking, of any reality, you can take this Texas event reality by signing up for the live stream. There are different ways to do it. You can do it individually, as a family, as a group, as a as a Bible study, as a youth group, however. And all of the details are there on realityapologetics.com. Realityapologetics.com. Now, we've had three of these so far. They've been sold out for a good reason. They're fabulous. They're fabulous. The theme this year, this season, rather, is man or maker, who says who you are. Man or maker, who says who you are. And uh, the presentations are fabulous. Um, our speakers are uh, Sean McDowell, Lynette Garrison, Christopher Yuan, Tripp and Megan Allman, and in addition to Tim Barnett, Alan Schleeman, John Noyes, Robbie Lashua, yours truly. I have a small part to play at the very end for about six minutes, and plus I do some breakouts. But this is a fabulous event. You don't want to miss it if you can possibly attend. Being in the environment with everybody else um, is much better than watching it on screen, okay? I mean, it's not like the Super Bowl or like what we just had the Rose Bowl, right? And the Sugar Bowl. So I'm both. And uh, it's not like that. Or you'd rather watch it on TV because you get all these great camera angles and everything like that. When you're at, instead of being up in the nosebleed section, but when you're at these events, it's so much better to be at the event than watching it. And if you want to get the close-up look, if you're sitting in the back, you still got the big screens. But you get to experience the energy of being there with all those people. And all the speakers who are available, walking around the halls, out there in the lobby, during breaks, available to you as well. That's an important feature of what we do at Reality. So go to realityapologetics.com. And uh, you can sign up for any of the events in the fall, or rather in the spring. That's uh, <clears throat> North Dallas, February 23 and 24, uh, Philly, March 22 and 23, and Augusta, Georgia, April 19 and 20. And if you're interested in the live stream for the Dallas event, of course, you can. there's details of that, too. Realityapologetics.com. <clears throat> now, the... Um, the purpose of Stand a Reason, and uh, this actually came out in a caller last last show, said something like, I'm really glad for Stand a Reason because it's helping me to think more carefully. 
about my convictions. And of course, that is the point. That's <laughs> the first part of our mission statement is we train Christians to think. That's what we're after, all right? So it's not just telling you what to think. We do that because we we have good reasons to believe as we do, but we want you to know how we get there so that you can be confirmed in your convictions. We also want you to know how other people offer their points of view, contrary to Christianity, and see things that might be, let's just say, a flaw in their view. All right. Now, uh, I was sent something by Tim Barnett, a.k.a. Um, Mr. B, and you know him from Red Pen Logic Online, the YouTube. How many people do we have that subscribe to that now or do do we have a we got a lot of people. Tim's got a lot of people following him there, Red Pen Logic. So uh, I encourage you to check it out. But anyway, hey, you know, as we do as a team, we toss things back and forth and we find out something. We see something online. We say, hey, how would you respond to this? What do you have to say about this? And so he sent me a clip and we're going to play the um, audio of that clip. Uh, this uh, person who did it is not a Christian. His name is Dan McClellan. He's very popular on YouTube, and he'll mention his name in a minute uh, and talk about his background just briefly before he makes his particular statements that are um, that I, I want to discuss very briefly here. Okay, and uh, he he uh, apparently had some association with the Mormon Church, but I, I don't know where he's at now. And we've kind of looked around trying to figure out what's what's he all about. He maybe he deconstructed Mormonism or whatever, but. Um, what I thought I'd do is I'd just play his 60 seconds or so of comments and let you listen to it, because I think they have a certain persuasiveness to them. And then I want then I want to make a comment about that, because I want you to see something that maybe you didn't see when you listened to what he had to say. So let's play uh, Dan McClellan here, Kyle, and, uh, and uh, let him make his point. The Bible has absolutely no authority. Hey everybody, I'm Dan McClellan. I'm a scholar of the Bible and religion. And the only authority the Bible can ever possibly have is whatever authority groups of people agree to assign to it and then to honor. And then they will usually impose the threat of certain consequences should members of the in-group fail to honor that authority. It's kind of like monetary value. There is no inherent value to gold or to pieces of paper with pictures and words stamped on them. That value is just a question of agreement between people. It's the exact same thing with authority. There is no such thing as metaphysical authority that inhabits any single syllable or page of the Bible. There are just groups of people who get together and agree that they're going to honor a specific kind of authority associated with the Bible. And then again, they generally assign certain consequences should members of the in-group fail to honor that authority. But the Bible has no authority. Okay, so there you have it. And uh, this is a um, TikTok. Is that where this came from? So, so he YouTube. Okay, so there's Dan speaking. Nice-looking man. Um, very confident. He's got a PhD, I guess, in something pertaining to scripture. Fine. Okay. Um, and I have to say, when I first listened to this, I actually misheard. Okay, which created a problem that I'm going to rectify. 
because I thought what Dan said was there is no such thing as a metaphysical authority. Now, of course, if there's no such thing as a metaphysical authority, then there's no such thing as a metaphysically authoritative revelation of that non-existent metaphysical authority. That seems to follow. But I took him as an atheist, and um, as I looked more carefully about what he claimed, that's not what he claimed. He said there's no metaphysical authority that inhabits any single syllable or page of the Bible. So now he's talking specifically about the Bible, and I know that he rejects the authority of the Bible, but I don't know anything else about his spiritual convictions. That isn't LDS doctrine, by the way. So the LDS believes that the Bible, and they pretty much they're most comfortable with the King James Bible, is is uh, authoritative. It is God's word insofar as it's properly translated, which it's hard to take exception with that definition. Who believes that a Bible that's not properly translated is still God's word? All right. So um, that's their view, but it's not. Dan's view, apparently, and so uh, he he rejects that. But I don't know if he's an atheist. I don't know if he's some kind of theist. Um, I, I know that uh, he has different views about the Bible. He's involved in some kind of project with the LDS regarding Scripture. But but uh, and but his the only view of his that is on the table now is this claim that the Bible has absolutely no authority. Now, incidentally, I thought it was very cleverly put together. He starts out with his claim, the Bible has no authority. Then he identifies himself, and then he talks about, um, uh, how can I put it? He, he, he elucidates his point by making an illustration. He says the only authority he has, by the way, is what people give it, and then they assign, then they threat threaten people who don't agree with them, or let's say they threaten people who don't obey the authority that they've proclaimed to be an authority. And then he gives an illustration, and then he just repeats himself, and he says people will threaten. If you don't obey the authority, there's going to be consequence, which, by the way, is what Christianity does do that, and so does the Mormon Church. Okay, there's no, I have no beef with that. But uh, And then he ends with where he begins, the Bible has no authority. He starts, he bookends his piece. Very nicely done. He bookends it with the same statement. Okay, now here's what I want you to see. At first I was going to say, well, why does the Bible have no authority? Because Mr. McClellan, Dr. McClellan, does not believe there is any such transcendent authority, no metaphysical authority. So all he's saying is atheism is true, and of course the Bible can't be God's Word if there is no God. So he is, this is just a claim about atheism. But I can't say that anymore because he doesn't show his hand on that issue. But I can tell you one other thing that's very important about learning how to think. And Amy Hall and I had the same response to Tim because he sent this to both of us, and maybe other members of our team. And I asked Amy this this afternoon before the show, hey, by the way, did Tim send a thing? Yeah, he, he did. Well, what did you have to say? Here's what I told him. Well, it turns out that Amy told him the same thing that I'm about to tell you. And that is that all this is, is an assertion. All this is, is an assertion. He starts with an assertion. The Bible has no authority. He repeats his assertion at the end, the Bible has no authority. 
And he, in the middle, he says it and adds, there's no metaphysical authority to any part of the Bible at all. But he never gives you a single reason in this piece. Maybe he has them, but not in this piece. He hasn't given a single reason to believe what he says is actually true. Now, um, uh, as I said, he may have his own reasons, but what the problem with a piece like this for a lot of people is because you've got a small piece, right? And you, you've got these short snippet, these vignettes. That's the nature of these little Facebook clips or TikTok pieces or whatever. They're meant to be short, and you can't get into a lot of depth. But what ends up happening, especially for clever presenters, people who are calm and confident and have creds, which Dr. McClellan has, and um, and 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 then offers illustrations that seem to be clear. The problem here is that they mistake what he's done for an argument. Now, in the tactics book, I talk about this, that an argument is a very particular thing. It isn't just a claim. When people make claims, even if they make them in elaborate ways, all they are are assertions. They are statements of their point of view. Again, they may have reasons for believing what they are saying, but until they give their reasons to us, they haven't given an argument. Something like, the Bible is has absolutely no authority, because A, B, C, D, therefore they have no authority. But he never gave us A, B, C, and D. Again, if you go back to prior work, you might find that. At this point, he hasn't taken us anywhere. All he's done is informed us of his point of view. An argument is a point of view with reasons that are structured in such a way that the conclusion follows from the reason. The reasons, rather. And if it's not structured in such a way, then you have an invalid argument. And invalid arguments are unsound. In other words, you can't properly get the conclusion that they got. Oftentimes, when we hear things like this, we get we wonder, well, how can I respond to that argument? Some people would say that. How do I deal with this argument? That guy said to me, and this happened actually, a student says, well, somebody told me that uh, everything's relative. So how do I respond to that argument? The first thing I said is, that's not an argument. That's a point of view. It's not an argument until he gives reasons to think that everything is relative, that you then consider and see if they're sound. The problem with that statement is it's self-refuting. Because if everything is relative, and the statement everything's relative is part of everything, then the statement itself is relative, not objectively true by definition. It self-destructs, okay? All I'm saying here is beware of sophisticated, rhetorically um, appealing, sounding, complex assertions. When people give illustrations, well, Jesus can't be the only way to Christ, to God, rather. Why not? Because all roads lead to the top of the mountain. Okay, all paths lead to the top of the mountain. All roads lead to Rome. 
Well, what have they done? They've illustrated their assertion. They haven't defended their assertion. And sometimes there's very sophisticated illustrations. And he gave one. He talked about money. There are people who will ascribe value to the Bible just like they ascribe value to money. But money only works because we've all agreed to the, for a certain type of paper or object to be a medium of exchange. If we agree otherwise, then that becomes worthless. That That's what happened, by the way, in Cambodia in 1975 when the Pol Pot, the Khmer Rouge, took over. The communists took over. All of Canadian real, R-I-E-L, that was their currency, became worthless because the, the Khmer Rouge went to a rice standard for money, a monetary standard. They use rice as the medium of exchange. Paper is worthless. It's a great illustration of his point, but the illustration of the point is not evidence of his point. It's just an illustration of the point. It's just reasserting the point in a more colorful way. And when the way they reassert it is more colorful, it sounds more compelling, but it's not evidence. It's just an illustration. And by the way, I, I'm sometimes quick to point this out. I'll say to people, well, here's my point, blah, blah, blah. It's kind of like this, and I'll give an illustration. And then I'll say, by the way, the illustration isn't evidence for my point. I have that also, and I'll give that to you, but I'm just trying to help you understand what the point is that I'm trying to establish. And that's the same point, or uh, the same thing you need to remind yourself of when you hear statements like this. Okay, got it. Assertion, that's your point. Oh, that's what you mean by your assertion. Got it. It's clear. Oh, there's the assertion again. Great. Haven't heard any reason to take you seriously. <clears throat> now, if the Christian is saying the Bible is an authority. And it's kind of like um, like the policeman says, stop in the name of the law. Well, the policeman's an authority, we got to stop. In the same way, the Bible is an authority. So what did I just do? I made an assertion. The Bible is the authority. Then I gave an illustration to make my assertion more clear, and then I reasserted my assertion. <laughs> but I gave you no reason why you should think the Bible is the authority. I was just doing then the same thing that Dr. McClellan was doing in his vid. If we are going to make an assertion and expect people to take it seriously, we need to give reasons why they ought to take it seriously. And there's a, a variety of kinds of reasons that might be brought into play here, and even with regards to the Bible. But without the reasons, it's not an argument. It's just an assertion. And assertions take you nowhere. They just tell you what the other person believes. That's it. All right? So there's my little lesson, clear thinking. Let's take a, a little break here, and then we've got callers on board, and we'll get to them. When I return on Stand to Reason. Friends, if you like this broadcast, I know you'll love Hashtag STRask. It's our shorter 20-minute podcast where I am paired with the wonderful Amy Hall, and together we answer the questions you send us on Twitter. Hashtag STRask is released twice a week, Mondays and Thursdays, and it's only about 20 minutes long, so it's perfect to listen to on your morning jog or while driving around running errands or cleaning your garage or just plain loafing at home. Amy and I tackle your questions on theology and ethics and culture and lots more, offering our insight on the questions you're asking or the challenges you face. 
You can listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you download your own shows. Just remember, send us your questions on Twitter using the name of the podcast, hashtag STRask. That's hashtag STRask. Do you have a passion to train people in apologetics, but you don't know where to start? You may be interested in starting an STR Outpost. STR Outposts are local communities of Christians seeking answers to the hard questions about Christianity. Each outpost is led by a qualified director who trains others with STR content and curriculum in their local church. By becoming an outpost director, you will be equipped with the content and coaching you need to lead your own outpost. We currently have more than 60 outposts across the country, and we're adding more each month. If you're interested in learning more about starting an outpost or you want to find a current outpost in your area, visit str.org outposts. You can also email me, Robbie Lashua, at outposts at str.org. All right, one other thought before I move on from this piece of Dan McClellan's. Um, again, I, I have to speak um, provisionally here because I don't know what his convictions are about God. But if there is a God, and we, we make the claim that God is good, if we think that God is good, and in, 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 uh, in my recent book, Street Smarts, I make the point, I argue for the point, that if, there, if God is not good, then there is no foundation for goodness at all. There has to be a grounding, a foundation for goodness, a law, and that law has to come from someone who's adequate to give the law. And if God's not, ad- if there is no God, or the God is not adequate to that, then there can't be any morality. There, there is no other way to ground morality. I know there's been other attempts, but none of them work. Actually, the only, pretty much the only other attempt I've see, heard is um, moral Platonism, and uh, that just gets a footnote in my book because it, it's Bill Craig you know, does a great job in a paragraph or two of, uh, of demonstrating its, its uh, inadequacy. But if there is a, if there, if, do we believe there is good and evil? Well, there has to be a God. Now, given that there's a God, in light of the fact that there's good and evil, does that God not care about whether or not we're good or evil? Is there not punishment for the wicked? Is there not uh, a reward for the righteous, at least in principle? Why would somebody dismiss that as scare tactics? Now, certainly I believe that there are some things that religious groups can conjure up as morally obligatory, and then if you don't obey those peculiar elements of church doctrine that, you know, fire and brimstone are going to fall on you. I definitely agree that there's misuse of the concept. And again, I don't know McClellan here, know enough of him from what he's done here to know where he stands on this issue, but he seemed—notice the dis—is quite dismissive. Oh no! The only people that believe in this are the ones that agree to it, and then and then they're willing to scare you if you don't think like them. Well, what about the Ten Commandments? Isn't that kind of universal morality? Most of it, at least nine of them. Maybe not the Sabbath, but the rest. Really? 
So what about that? And is it fair to say that if you do, if you murder or steal and you get away with it in this life, you will not get away with it in the next life? Is that reasonable or is that just shallow scare tactics? So in addition to being alert for arguments that aren't arguments because they're just sophisticated assertions, also be alert for this kind of rhetoric. Oh, that's a scare tactic. Oh, really? Um, yeah. Uh, <laughs> some people have said to me if when I've talked about this with them regarding the gospel, now you're trying to scare me. I said, yes, <laughs> but not illicitly. I'm trying to tell you the truth about the world, and you're in trouble if I'm right, and I have reasons to believe this. And you ought to be scared of things that are dangerous. You ought to be scared of things that are dangerous. And God is dangerous. Why? Because he's holy. Okay? So don't, 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 uh, don't allow yourself to be dismissed in your views as, as mere scare tactics. It's okay to scare people when the threat is real. It's not just a tactic. Okay? Now the question is whether the threat is real. And even without the Bible, isn't a person willing to say, well, you know, maybe there is a God who cares about good and evil. That's a reasonable alternative. And if so, he's going to stand a judge of good and evil. So you better be good and not evil. He's making a list, and he's checking it twice, okay? All right, let's go to our next caller, and this is Bob in Nuevo, California. Where is Nuevo at, Bob? <laughs> the old thing, if I had a dollar if, uh, Nuevo is out by Riverside. Okay, in Inland Empire. Inland Empire. All right, it. yeah, okay, good. But we have staff members who live in the Inland Empire. There was some squeaky noise in the background. I don't know if that's your phone or what that is, but it's really driving me nutty. Can you deal with that? Okay. Let me take you off speaker here. Oh, yes. Yeah, but definitely speakerphone's bad. Okay, there you go. Thank you so much. Is that better? Much better, Bob, in Nuevo. Much more Nuevo. No, Nuevo's new. Much more Bueno. Nuevo's new. Yeah, Bueno. Okay, gotcha. What's up? Very good. Anyway, Happy New Year. And Thank you. I am a strategic partner. I've been listening to you since your early days. I started wow. listening to you in the early in the early nineties. Wow! 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 When you were when you were on the uh, KBRT. KBRT, yeah. Nineteen ninety three was my nineteen ninety was my launch, and I talked about that earlier last show. Okay, good. You're right. Well, I, thank you, Bob. I'm I'm impressed. I haven't worn you out yet. Wow! <laughs> I've worn me out. I haven't worn you out. Good. Yeah, I used to have a radio that had a uh, cassette tape in there, and I could set the timer so that it would program, you know, record an hour of your program. So. <laughs> yeah, that's old technology, but uh, that's old tech. people would do yeah. it. Yeah, that's the way to do it. So what do we got so for anyway, me today? I'm picking up on your previous discussion on Ephesians Yeah, and the, uh, the effect or how Satan is involved in the lives of people. Yeah. And i uh, referring specifically in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. Uh, it says, um, once you were dead because of your disobedience and many sins, right. you used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. Yeah. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. Right. 
So, uh, trying to, I was trying to explain to some my, one of my grandsons how Satan can have direct influence on the non-believer and can have indirect influence of the believers causing problems in our lives. So I'm, and I, one of my examples was Judas, and so I was trying to get your take on, was Judas possessed? I think that's what we read in there, is that he entered into Judas, or was it a, uh, a, a, a what's the word I'm looking for, a, some, somehow, no, he dominated his, his will, if you will, to accomplish his no, will. Yeah, and it, this is where it's a little bit uh, sometimes difficult to find that fine line, you know, whose will is in there. It, as far as I could tell, Judas was cooperating with what the devil wanted. Now, in Judas's case, he was actually possessed by the devil. If I read this passage in the Upper Room Discourse correctly, the devil entered Judas. That's what the text says. Okay, now yeah. that's very unusual, you know, nevertheless. Um, but Judas also had to cooperate with that. And um, I, I, don't, I don't think that Judas was an innocent man who was compelled by the devil against his wishes. I think he, he, was, he was a guilty man who played along he he made his own choices, but he wasn't alone in in terms of the influence here. And, and this is kind of a, a similar question. <clears throat> there's a similarity here, not a perfect parallel, but there's similarity in the question of how is it that we grow as Christians and the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives? Is God doing it or am I doing it? And the answer is yes. <laughs> there is this kind of ineffable, unexplainable cooperation between the Holy Spirit and our spirit, our willing selves, to accomplish the end that God has in mind. And I think there's something like that going on here, but I don't know exactly how to divide it out. Um, there are temptations, and uh, the devil is a tempter. Um, he is a deceiver. Sometimes the devil deceives enough so that a person who believes the deception chooses to do the bad thing, being deceived. So who's responsible? Well, the devil deceived him, yes, but he still chose to do the wrong thing. But he was deceived. It says in Second Thessalonians chapter 2 that people don't love the truth. And this is one reason that they're deceived. God sent a deceiving influence on them, it says in Thessalonians, First Thessalonians, Second Thessalonians 2, because they did not love the truth. So once again, you have this, this amalgam there between fallen man and sinful man and non-truth-loving man with the devil that is deceiving to move man in an evil direction. Okay, so what I was uh, trying to explain to him is that on a non-believer, as, as he puts in there, those who refuse to obey God, that, you know, he's, uh, how's it going to, uh, he is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. Yeah. I said, that's not possession. Um, no. Most, I don't think Satan is going around possessing all these people that, to, no. that are doing bad things. He I doesn't need to. He's already got an ally in the flesh that's already inside of them. So he doesn't have to do that. 
So all he has to do is sort of play the keys of our passions to uh, and our greed to get us to do what he wants. Not, not, that's a nice way of putting it, but he's not just getting us to do what he wants. He's getting us to do what we want. Well, that's a good point. See, no, no, you know, there's there are some people who kind of want to cast every sin out of people thinking it's a demon. But it turns out in uh, Galatians, and just turn a page over from where we're just at now, the, the deeds of the flesh are evident, chapter 5, verse 19. Immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunk, drunken. I mean, he goes on and on and on, three verses, right? Okay, what are those? Those are the deeds of the flesh. Those aren't uh, the devil made me do it kinds of things. But is the devil involved? Well, Paul doesn't talk about the devil in this passage, but we know the devil's involved from other places that we read. And his tempting, the tempter, okay? And, uh, and I mean, if, if he could tempt Eve, who was not fallen, how much easier to tempt all of us who are fallen? Because his temptations look good. Right? So yeah. it, 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 part of what's going on here, I think, um, Bob, is that we, we do have this, like I mentioned before, ineffable amalgam between self and, and in this case, the, the, demon, the, the devil, or the demonic world, or the forces of darkness in heavenly places. We, we do cooperate with them by giving in to their lies. And certainly non-believers much more, because non-believers are held captive. He has blinded the eyes of the non-believers, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. The world lies in the power of the evil one, 1 John 5. Um, they are held captive by him to do his will, 2 Timothy 2. So these are three passages that make it very clear the superiority the devil has over the world, because they can't resist him, and nor do they want to. The only one that can resist him is God rescuing us. You know, and uh, I love this comment by Paul in Colossians chapter 1, I think, and he talks about what God has done for the Colossians as believers. So this is true of us too. And I like the way he puts it because I made it into a prayer for someone in my family who's not a believer. And I pray this prayer. But here's what Paul says. He has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom there is redemption and forgiveness of sin. That's a great line, isn't it? That's my prayer. To rescue that person from the domain of darkness and transfer. I just, it's not a promise, not claiming a promise, but I'm hitchhiking on some really good words. But notice what it does say those of us who are in the kingdom have been rescued and transferred from one kingdom to another, and, and God has done that on our behalf. We don't rescue ourselves. Oh, now, absolutely. So now we're in a new kingdom, but we're still part of the battle. We're still at war, aren't we? Absolutely. Yeah. So I was trying to explain to him, I said, well, the distinction between is that the, the well, I guess you hit on it, the, the non-believer is blinded. I guess you, they don't even know that they're being played the fool, as That's it were. That's right. That's a good way of putting it. Uh, 
and that the uh, the believer, no, we know what's going on here, and it's up to us to, uh, you know, reach out to the Holy Spirit in prayer and in study to protect ourselves, right. and, you know, putting on those shields and all, to keep ourselves prepared for those attacks and sure. not blaming Satan, saying, well, the, you know, the devil made me do it. Well, yeah. he, he tempted you, but you did it. Right, that's right. And by the way, knowing the truth that we're, we are obliged to know the truth. Study to show yourselves approved, a workman who does not need to be shamed, handling accurately the word of truth. That's also Second Timothy. And um, because when we do that, we are, we are, in a certain sense, sharpening our sword, to follow the metaphor. We're sharpening our sword for battle, all right? And if, if Paul tells us that we should gird our, our, our loins with the with the belt of truth and, and also have the, the sword of the Spirit, okay, if we don't know what the truth is and we haven't been diligent to learn that, then we are going to be vulnerable to attacks, to error. So there is certainly an important role that we play in the process of our own protection. And the last question or thought on this is, what's your opinion on in terms of Satan's um, influence, that might be explainable for some of the heinous things we see happening. You know, the, uh, the 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 multiple killings where someone comes into a school. I mean, yeah, yeah I'm not going to say they're all demonic. I mean, I'm sure they're demonically influenced. But can some of them? We see in the Bible where they, these people are possessed. They're they're insane. Uh, and so, do you think that's still happening today? Where there is some demonic uh, possession that's causing people insanity and causing people to do such terrible things? Yeah, I have no reason to believe that what's described in Scripture couldn't be true today. There's no reason to believe it. Now, it does seem that these kinds of things manifest themselves more aggressively in certain periods, and Jesus ran into a lot of this stuff, to, uh, a, uh, demonic um, possession, and he had to deal with it forcibly okay, um, casting these demons out. Actually, it is kind of a fun thing to isolate all the passages in the Gospels where Jesus is dealing with demonic forces, and then then look at what's taking place. And these guys are trembling before Jesus. Oh, no, don't yeah. cast us out. Are you coming to torment us? Please leave us alone. You know, all of this stuff. And Jesus is saying, shut up. Just shut up and get out of here, kind of thing, you know. Um, so that's kind of interesting to see the dynamic between Jesus and the demons, okay? Um, and he doesn't mess with them long, he takes care of it. Um, and they certainly, and then you have in the book of Acts, you have some other occasions, and you have some non believers, some Jewish exorcists that are trying to exorcise demons out of a man, and they didn't fare well because yeah. they tried to invoke Jesus' name, and it, the, the, this Jesus whom Paul preaches is what they said. But they weren't, repre they weren't in Christ, so they weren't speaking with Jesus' authority at all. They were using the magic words like abracadabra, this Jesus whom Paul right. preaches. And the, the demon says, I know about Jesus, I, I recognize Jesus, and I know about Paul, but who are you? <laughs> what a what a comical situation. Of course, then they all got beat up and thrown out, you know, by this yeah, demon possession. That would probably man. be a very 
terrifying moment at that when they were faced with that. But oh, my you? goodness gracious me. <laughs> so I, I have no reason to believe that these things don't happen in like manner nowadays. But, <clears throat> but there are no examples in Scripture of people m- m- doing mass murder because they're demon-possessed. Okay. No, this is true. So uh, the, the manifestations are different. Self-harm is one manifestation. Think of the Gadarene demoniac gouging himself. Um, fits, um, muteness, you know, a bizarre behavior, uh, stuff like that. Now, it doesn't mean there can't be other things, too, but I just am generally kind of slow to say that man is demon-possessed. Or that person who killed all those people, or that's demon-possessed. No, I do think that there is certainly the influence of darkness. How could anyone look at any of the heads of the Third Reich, from Hitler on down, and say that these individuals were not deeply uh, taken by darkness, by the devil? I don't know whether he's possessed or not, but certainly they lived in this dark, dark, evil world. That compelled these evil behaviors, and uh, uh, and so when I, I I look at those periods of history and certain people like that, I think, man, that's demonic. And I I think ideas are demonic too. There are ideas that, and we have a lot of them right now. And I'd have to go into some detail about why I think they're demonic. I talk about it in uh, the uh, the on the book Street Smarts, okay, and uh, the the spiritual nature of the street. I talk about it there, but uh, it's it's because what we can see is that there are obvious there are things that are obviously false that people are completely blind to. That men can get pregnant? Are you kidding me? Yeah. That that Islam is a peaceful religion? Where did you get that from? You got it. You didn't get that from clear thinking about what's going on, and so people are deceived, and the deception on these spiritual things. These, this is a a tell, a hallmark, if you will, an indicator of the spiritual lie that's being told and is taken over. And the same thing with same-sex marriage, and there's a whole bunch of things that have spiritual ramifications. That that why can't people see how how upside down this is? Why not? Because they're blinded. And it's a spiritual yeah, blindness. I, I think one of Satan's greatest tactics is to convince people that he doesn't exist, and they don't even That's right. Themselves. That's right. That's why, by the way, Paul uses the word schemes in Ephesians 6 to describe what the devil does. Schemes. Okay? That means he's got machinations. He's got some things worked out that he is going to do. And all of the things that we see now that are front and center— uh, ex- with the exception of Islam right now, as a false religion, but all the other things that in the, all the gender and sexual things and family and marriage and all that, these are all meant to undermine the creation order of Genesis 1 and 2. And the creation order is described as such because this is the way God built everything so that human beings would flourish. And if you undermine the mechanism of human flourishing, then those who bear the image of God will not flourish. It's an indirect way of getting at God by getting at image bearers. So anyway, just something to think about. Got to go Absolutely. to a, Well, thank you. Got to go to a break. Yes, Bob, it was great talking to you, and I uh, hope that was helpful. Yes, it was. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Good call. Time for a break. Amy, it's all you. No. <laughs> Kyle, the bearded beast. He trimmed his beard, and he also cut his hair off over the break. So he's not as hairy as he used to be, but he's still hairy enough and totally beastly. Take it away, Kyle.
Have you seen our brand new website? Stop by str.org and enjoy a fresh, clean layout with all the same great content. The new Stand to Reason website was designed with you in mind. It has an easier-than-ever navigation and a crisp, simple layout so you can find all the sound analysis and careful commentary that you've come to expect from us. Browse new features that make finding your favorite resources easier than ever. As always, it's our goal to equip you, our fellow Christians, with a confidence, clear thinking, and courage you need for every encounter you have as a Christian ambassador. Our new website is just one way we're fulfilling that goal, allowing you to access the resources you need in a new and improved way. So visit str.org and keep coming back to discover new podcasts, articles, and videos each and every day. You can take Stand to Reason with you through our mobile apps, available for free from the App Store or the Google Play Store. The Quick Reference app gives you short, easily accessible courses on our most popular topics like tactics, homosexuality in the Bible, morality, the story of reality, and many more. The Stand to Reason app has all our latest content available at your fingertips. You can listen to our podcasts, check the blog, and access timely and practical resources. They're free, so download the apps today on the App Store or the Google Play Store and start carrying Stand to Reason with you everywhere you go. If you enjoy our apps, you can help other people find them by rating them on the App Store or the Google Play Store. That's uh, our last uh, segment here for the show, and uh, we've got some open mic calls that I want to get to, and uh, some have been sitting here for a while. We have one from Trent Blake, okay, about the—oh, we have a caller on right now? Well, let's just t- take Trent. Oh, you ready? You want the caller? <laughs> I can't read your lips. Sorry, Amos. I can take him right now if, if he's ready to go. Sure. All right, we can get to this open call. We got an open mic. We got an open line right now. So let's. Uh, all right, this is a uh, hello, someone. This is sight unseen because Amy hasn't uh, screened you. So I hope you're not a weirdo. <laughs> no, no. Um, Who's uh, this? I think we're safe there. My uh, name's Carter. Carter. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, Carter. I just want to let you know that nobody who is a weirdo thinks they're a weirdo. So just saying. <laughs> so, so what's that? Let me be. I'll be the. I'll be the judge of that. So what's on your mind, Carter? Here in our last six minutes or so, or seven minutes. Well, Greg, um, I've got a question about uh, something. So um, my question is: so I know that um, the Holy Spirit is supposed to help us and lead us when we're communicating to people um, and sharing the gospel. Um, but one of the things I wanted to ask is, how do we know um, when it is time to, whether we're supposed to continue witnessing to a particular person? To continue with a person? Or continue. Yeah, or to move on. Yeah. Okay. Um, I do not think, I'm glad you called on this, this is an important practical applicational issue. I do not think that this is a matter of tuning into the spiritual realm and getting a message of some sort from God when we move forward and when we move when we quit. I don't that I don't see any indication of anything like that in scripture though people talk like this all the time. And I by the way I do think that there are some veridical that is truthful circumstances where odd things happen where someone feels I just felt so compelled to go and talk to this person and when I talked to them 
I found out that they were just about to commit suicide and me talking to them alleviated that. Well, that's pretty powerful. Mm-hmm. I don't want to diss that. But those are exceptional circumstances. And what I what I don't see in Scripture is, I can think of one exception right now, maybe, maybe two, okay, mm-hmm. or possibly three, but they fall in a little bit of a unique category. Characteristically, we don't see God giving evangelism instructions. Okay, go over and talk to this person. Now let's go to the talk. Okay, now you got that. Okay, now we want to talk to that person. This is the way some people see it. They think, well, the Holy Spirit's going to lead me to the person he wants me to talk to. It, that isn't what spiritual leading means in the New Testament. That language is in Romans 8 and it's in Galatians 5, but it doesn't have anything to do with that kind of thing. It has to do with overcoming the deeds of the flesh, walking victoriously over the flesh so that you don't sin and rather manifest the fruits of the Spirit, okay? Um, now, the exceptions are, one, Book of Acts, where you have <clears throat> the Holy Spirit um, instructing Philip to talk to the Ethiopian eunuch, all right? Mm-hmm. And then when he's done talking, he, sp- he, he spirit travels. He is snatched up by the Spirit and taken somewhere else. Now, I think it's safe to say that what was going on there was a supernatural event. It wasn't a nudge, nudge, hint, hint kind of thing, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's the first one. And notice that I'm underscoring it supernatural because this is important. Where we have kind of special directions given in the book of Acts, virtually every single case, it's a supernatural event. An unmistakably supernatural, not like, I really, 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 really believe God is nudging me to do this. No, an angel shows up. Get out of this jail. Open the door. Follow me. Jesus shows Mm -hmm. up at Paul's bedside in Corinth, says, stop being afraid. I have many people in the city. Speak out, okay? Or Mm -hmm. the chains fall off their hands and the doors open. You know, that's an open door, right, you know? Now, they didn't even go through that open door, but that's all supernatural stuff that's going on. Now, the uh, two of them where where it seems like you have a directive that has to do with evangelism is in the book of Acts where Saul and Tars—Saul uh, and—who's um, uh, his buddy? Um, <laughs> so, so, first missionary journey, so, Saul and uh, Barnabas, Barnabas, thank you, yeah. are sent out— on their first, it's an old timers moment, Amy. It's I'm getting more of those than usual. So okay, so Saul and Saul and uh, Barnabas are instructed by the Holy Spirit to go on their first missionary journey. Now, by the way, they had Paul had three missionary journeys. This was the only one that he had spiritual instruction or direction uh, based on what we know, because in the second one, he just he said to Barnabas, "Let's go back." That's it. There's no indication of the Holy Spirit. In this case, we do have that. The Holy Spirit said. Well, how did the Holy Spirit say that? It doesn't say, except that in the passage, it says they were all waiting, ministering to the Lord. Among them were evangelists, and there were apostles and prophets. Why would they Mm. mention prophets there? Well, probably because this was a prophecy. So now you don't have a nudge, nudge, hint, hint. You probably, the best, the best, guess, so to speak, is that there was a prophetic word that was offered, and that was the direction that they took to do the first missionary journey. Now, on that 
on the second missionary journey, they are trying to go north in Asia Minor there, the Galatian mm-hmm. reason, region. And it says the Holy Spirit was not allowing us to go into this reason, region. Okay, now we don't know what that mm-hmm. means. Well, we know what it means, but we don't know the the phenomenology of it. We don't know uh, how, how did that happen. Did mm-hmm. the Holy Spirit say, don't go there? We don't know, but from that statement, it might have been circumstances closed the door, and he said, in there, presuming God's sovereign hand based on the circumstances. We don't know one way or another. We just know mm-hmm. that Paul was aware that the Holy Spirit was not allowing them. But then another place, it says the Holy Spirit forbade us to speak the word in Asia. Oh, mm-hmm. well, that's a little more direct, so he must have said something. <laughs> if Holy Spirit speaking... In, in the way of forbidding, that looks like a supernatural revelation. Then they have a dream. They're f- traveling east, west, rather. They have a dream, and in the dream, you have this man beckoning them from Asia, from, uh, from Greece. And they take that as a reason, an indication, that they should take a boat over to Greece. And they do right. that to Philippi, and that's when they encounter the Philippian jailer. So now notice in these cases, we have a supernatural thing with Philip. Okay, that's supernatural. We have a supernatural thing with the first missionary journey, but not the other ones. And then we have this reference that the Holy Spirit wasn't allowing, and then he was forbidding. And then you have a a dream, which is a supernatural manifestation. You have no clear indication of nudge, nudge, hint, hint in the evangelism process. So... I don't encourage people to worry about that. I think that what they ought to do is make their best judgment in any given situation as to whether their time is being well spent any longer in this conversation. And some mm-hmm. some things die a natural death. I tend to be someone with a non-Christian, when I'm dealing with a non-Christian, I tend to be someone who doesn't want to give them too much, too much mm-hmm. to think about. I want to, as you probably know, I want to put a stone in their shoe. I want to give them enough to get them thinking. I don't need to give them everything. My wife and I were on an airplane coming back from Wisconsin once, and behind us was this precious brother sitting in the middle seat, probably on purpose, so he'd have two people to witness to. And what I gathered from the conversation was a three-hour flight from Wisconsin to California (laughs) that— He was on vacation, and this is how he vacationed. He traveled around and he witnessed. And so he had had a captive audience there, one on each side. And this guy, was a lot of good things there, and I talk about this at the end of the tactics book. But at the same time, he was just given way too much. He's non-Christians. He's talking about end times and rapture and young earth creationism and Noah's flood and on and on and on and on and on. And uh, he had way overstayed his welcome in both cases, I guarantee you. And so what I recommend is that people—you don't want to give people so much that they're overwhelmed. You want to give them enough that their their curiosity is piqued. You want to give them something to think about, uh, but, but you want to keep them fresh. You don't want them to feel sorry that they ever asked kind of thing. Right. And sometimes that's the case, or had been the case with me. 
oh, you want a lecture? I'll sit down. I'll, I'll tell you all about it, you know. But uh, mm-hmm. so I, I think the standard here, the principle here, is just to, to you make your own decision. You don't have to tune into the heavenlies. I don't have any indication that anybody was doing that in any conversations that they had. And we have a number of conversations, the record of which is in the book of Acts. So mm-hmm. you don't see that. They're just doing the best with what they have and what they know. And that's basically what I think you should do as well. Okay. Carter. The Holy Spirit's going to be there to do what you can't do, and that's to do the persuasion. Mm-hmm. And you do the best mm-hmm. you can with your side of the equation. That kind of deal. Make sense? Yes, sir. All right, you got in. We've covered the bases. Ten seconds to go. Thanks for calling, Carter. Yes, sir. Thank you. All right, all the best to you. And that's it for this show. And in five seconds, my music's coming up. Lots of good stuff we talked about today. Even this point with Carter, people over-spiritualize these events, in my view. Just go out and speak what you can speak to the audience that you have. Give them something to think about. Don't wear them out. And trust that the Lord's going to use it. All right? Thanks for joining me today. Greg Kokel here for Stand to Reason. Give them heaven, friends. Bye-bye now.